baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and it is time, of course, for our weekly chat about the Braves and Major League Baseball as we wind closer to opening day. Under three weeks to go. Spring training has been in full swing for a while. In fact, we're starting to see those roster cuts happening across Major League Baseball and the Braves made their first round on Friday morning. Got a lot of stuff to talk about from Braves camp and a lot of stuff to talk about from across Major League Baseball as Bill Rowland will join me a little bit later and we'll get to our starting nine for this week. But as always, we like to lead things off with what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Before we get started, let me remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Shares, ratings, and reviews, always welcome and very much appreciated, so keep those coming. And be sure to follow along with the show and with me on social media. On Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore is where you can find the show. I'm at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can also find Bill Rowland on Twitter, at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. Over on Instagram, you can find the show at From the Diamond with no underscore on the end. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. I've been rummaging through my Facebook memories from about 12 years ago and have posted some really fun pictures from 2008. I've posted them on Twitter as well, but if you want to get a good look at those and always have a steady source of what kind of Braves moments and memories I might be finding next, I'll post those things on Instagram throughout the season. So feel free to give me a follow there as well. Of course, you can find every episode of the show and everything else over at FromTheDiamond.com. That includes my Braves positional preview series. All five parts of the written series are already up, but Corey McCartney and I are going through each of those positions as well in the audio form with a five-part podcast series. And part three just came out on Thursday. That featured the Atlanta catchers, so be sure to catch up on that. No pun intended. You can also hear all about the Braves pitching staff. We've already done the first two parts on the rotation in the bullpen. And up next will be the infield. And we'll round things out with the outfield as we get you set for opening day on March 26th. So with all of that out of the way, let's jump into the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. A lot of headlines going on. And the injury updates, I think, are something that a lot of folks have been looking at and hoping for the best in a couple of cases. And in particular, all-star first baseman Freddie Freeman. He returned to the Braves lineup with a pair of games this week. He's going to play again on Friday and ramp up the at-bats throughout the weekend. No pain in his surgically repaired right elbow. He's going to see, again, some more at-bats and playing time moving forward. Freeman and the Braves just wanted to take things slow, take it easy if he was dealing with any kind of residual pain or any kind of new pain or any kind of pain whatsoever, and make sure that he's ready to go for opening day. He's not particularly concerned about it. The Braves don't seem to be overly concerned about it being something that's going to cost him a lot of time but better to be cautious in spring training. And they gave him quite a few days to rest and get the swelling out of the elbow. And he's reported no problem since jumping back into the lineup and doing the things he needs to do on a regular basis. And of course, we all know Freddie Freeman's going to want to be out there each and every day playing for his team. Maybe some days off throughout the year, just sprinkled in. 
would be helpful for him, but we'll kind of see what happens as we go throughout the season and see what he needs as the Braves also try to balance winning each and every game that they can because it's going to be an ultra-competitive National League East, and that's something, of course, we'll be talking about over the coming weeks as we get set for the season as well. Also on the injury front, Cole Hamels, still reportedly a ways away from throwing. Braves' battle for that rotation spot is going to continue. We already knew they were looking for a fifth starter, but now we see that the Braves are going to have to replace Hamels for very likely the entire month of April and might even stretch into May, according to Mark Bowman of MLB.com. That makes this a wait-and-see thing because we have to see Hamels back on the mound, start throwing and working through his progressions and building up his arm to be ready to make an impact for the Braves at some point. But it does give an opportunity to one of the other pitchers that might have been squeezed out of that fifth spot in the rotation. Let's talk a little bit about that, and let's hear from some of these guys as well. Felix Hernandez really needs no introduction. I mean, his resume speaks for itself, but the last few years in Seattle were not vintage King Felix. He has looked good in his first handful of spring training outings. He's made three starts now. He's pretty much limited contact. He's looked pretty sharp. Seems to be physically maybe in better shape than he's been in recent years as well. And he discussed how he's feeling three starts into the spring. It's a challenge. I picked this team because I mean, they're really, really good. And I'm just going to go out there and compete. And just be myself and try to get a spot in the roster. I have to get out of the American League. I want to go to the National League. See something <laughs> different. And uh, like I said, I mean, the beat is not there, but I got another weapons. The Felix Hernandez will continue to get a long look when it comes to a rotation spot for the Braves. But a couple of other guys getting a look. How about Kyle Wright? The former first-rounder has looked great in his first two outings. We'll get another start on Friday against the Boston Red Sox, and I would imagine he'll continue to get those outings as he tries to prove himself and once again break camp with the Braves as he did a year ago, make the opening day roster, but the idea now is to put up the numbers and stick around for a while, and Wright's looked very good thus far, and that experience that he had last year is something Brian Snitker thinks is going to be a great thing for Kyle Wright as he moves through the spring and looks to make the club again. I think he's more versed, he's more ready for this fight than he was a year ago now, which is getting another year under his belt and experiencing what he experienced. You know, he broke camp with us, was a opening series pitcher, and I think all that's going to serve him well down the road and, and right now. So, you know, I just I think everything he went through last year is going to serve him well this year because I say I really like what you see. Meanwhile, Sean Newcomb is looking to transition back into the rotation after spending much of last year in the bullpen. He's also shown some flashes this spring and will continue to get those innings in a starter's capacity. I'm really fascinated to see, though, how exactly this is going to break down with Hamels out with a fifth starter spot up for grabs. As I mentioned, you got Felix Hernandez, you got Kyle Wright, you got Sean Newcomb. There's two spots, three pitchers there. I still look at Sean Newcomb as the guy that could really help the Braves in the bullpen since they seem to have a shortage of reliable left-handers. And This is something I've been saying for a couple of weeks, but... Sean deserves the opportunity, and the Braves have nothing to lose by stretching him out and seeing if he can capture a spot in rotation and give them quality innings every fifth day. As I alluded to a couple of minutes ago, the Braves have made their first round of roster cuts. It happened on Friday morning. I was talking about this fifth starter spot, and Bryce Wilson, who made the big league club along with Kyle Wright a year ago, he was one of the first cuts for the Braves as four pitchers were optioned to AAA Gwinnett. It was Wilson, Jacob Webb, Jaciel De La Cruz, and Waskari Noah. And then there were nine more players who were just reassigned to minor league camp. Bryce Ball, who's made a pretty good impression, I think, over the first couple of weeks. The big slugging first baseman. He'll be on the minor league side. Thomas Burroughs, Trey Harris, Kurt Hoekstra, Grayson Genista, Connor Johnstone, Carlos Martinez, the catcher, Kyle Muller, and Braden Shoemake, all reassigned to the minor league side. That leaves the Braves with 55 players in big league camp. 
as we have just under three weeks to go before opening day. One other starting rotation story that I think people are monitoring closely would be what to make of Mike Fultonevich's spring, which has been a couple of short outings. It really hasn't been, I think, the quality that he wants it to be and, of course, the quality that Braves fans would like to see as well. But for Mike Fultonevich, he feels like he is light years ahead of where he was mentally and physically a year ago as he was trying to gut his way through spring training. I don't even know if I was throwing the ball again at this time this um, last year. I kind of think about that a little bit, you know, instead of playing catch-up, um, we're here actually doing our work. I mean, last year I didn't even get a, a spring training. You know, I try to, you know, man up and just go out there in, in the big leagues and try to, you know, just get through and battle and have my own spring training. You can't really do that um, against these guys anymore. You know, this is what spring training's for. This is what it's here for. It's up to me, you know, anybody else is to take it seriously and get ready. You know, I'm just taking it a lot serious this year because I know, you know, I don't want to play catch-up anymore. I know what injuries can do to you and, um, you know, there's also a lot of guys behind you, you know, ready for that opportunity. Of course, for Fulton for Mike Soroka, for Max Freed, guys you know are going to be in the rotation. A lot of the object of the early part of the spring is to go out there and get your work in. You're going to have some clunker outings in the spring where you're just working on pitches, building the stamina up, and just getting used to being out there every fifth day again. As the pitchers ramp up, though, you'd like to see maybe a little momentum in the final two or three starts when the pitch count starts to jump up, but Fultonevich knows the work right now is just to not concentrate so much on the numbers, but just making sure he's healthy and getting that work in. Just to get to the bigger picture at the end there, um, you know, I think I threw 40 pitches there. Um, next time it's probably going to be 60. You know, it's just ramping up, ramping up. Just the main thing is I'm healthy. Right now, all my stuff, you know, seems to be working in some degree that I want it to right now. And, uh, you know, it's just only get better from there, to, you know, pick out the things that, you know, we need to work on and, and go from there. But, um, yeah, it's just the bigger picture is, you know, two, three weeks away and just staying healthy and getting ready for that. Mike Fultonevich had a tale of two seasons in 2019. It was a really tough run in the first half, some really great pitching, some of the best of his career in the second half. One of the best starts he ever had in the postseason and one of the worst starts that you could possibly have in the postseason as well. So it was really a lot of back and forth for him. But I do think he recognizes the challenges of being consistent. And that is something that he's been working very hard on the last couple of years. It paid off with an all-star caliber season in 2018. And I think it got him back on track in 2019 once he was able to move through some of the physical stuff, refocus, go down to Gwinnett, simplify things and come back. It's Good to hear him sounding confident about where his stuff is, and hopefully he can turn that stuff into results as the Braves get ready for opening day. And we'll be relying on Fulton to be right in the thick of things when it comes to this rotation, especially with two spots up for grabs and Cole Hamels on the shelf to start the year. So that's what's been going on in Braves camp over the last week or so. But I also wanted to answer some of your questions. So I'll put the call out on Twitter where you can follow me at Grant McCauley. And I asked for your questions about the Braves, and I got a lot of them about what's going on at third base. Handlet33 over on Twitter, who does excellent work over on Braves Reddit and posting a lot of cool videos and GIFs and all that good stuff. I think this question submitted best sums up the multitude of questions I got about the third base battle. If Austin Riley wins the starting third base job, do you think Johan Camargo makes the roster? I read that Snitker said whoever loses will go to AAA, but Camargo seems like a much better option over Charlie Culberson, Jan Hervis Salarte, and even Adani Echevarria. And again, that's from Handlet33 on Twitter. This question popped up a few days ago because of comments that Brian Snitker made when asked about who's going to win this third base job and what does it mean for the other guy. And Snit said, quote, if you're not playing them every day, then you're not going to do them justice. You can talk about it and it all sounds good, but in reality, it's just not that easy to do. 
So those are the words of Brian Snitker, and it might sound like an oversimplification of where these two guys are, but he went on to say that we saw how this affected Camargo last year. It wasn't real good. I don't know if they have the experience to be that versatile guy that we want. Now, of course, Riley and Camargo are very different players, but just peeling back the layers on this some to read between the lines if you want to on why Brian Snitker would be looking at this and saying that one of these two guys might be better served to go to AAA. I'm of the opinion that you go with your best 26 players, but if the role doesn't work for a guy, then it doesn't work. Camargo may have the inside track because we all saw what he did in 2018 as he became the club's everyday third baseman for a while. He's got that run of big league success that lasted longer than the four or five weeks when Riley busted onto the scene last year. And you can't option Riley to AAA. You do have that option, quite literally, to send him down there. And playing every day, I think, for a 22-year-old would be much more important than sitting on the bench and starting maybe twice a week and pinch hitting a handful of times. I don't think that that helps out Austin Riley whatsoever. But my question then becomes, and the question for Brian Snitker, for Alex Anthopoulos, for everyone in charge of creating this roster, are the Braves better without either or of those guys on the roster? Without the at-bats, it becomes a harder question, I think, than people may realize because Camargo's 2019 is a huge cautionary tale. It was essentially a lost season for him altogether, so I can understand why Brian Snitker is asking these questions and making this point right now because ultimately the team has to decide who the best 26 players are, and those guys have to be, I think, tailored for some of those roles. When you're playing every day, that's one thing, but when you're slotted into a different role that involves maybe not playing for a few days or pinch hitting for quite a while. I can't say that that's really a role that Camargo has shown that he can handle just based on last year, and I don't think that's a role that I would ask a player like Austin Riley to do. His versatility, limited to begin with, you don't need another reserve outfielder. He can play third base. He can back up at first base, but hopefully, knock on wood, you don't need somebody out there at first base very often other than Freddie Freeman. So it's a harder question, I think, than people realize. The Braves, though, do have a couple of weeks to really figure out who may serve them best and who earns this job just based on what the need is and how they perform during the spring. And both of them have looked pretty good so far. I mean, they've shown some flashes, showing some power now, and both guys seem to be up to the challenge of trying to win this job. All right, moving on. Jared Vickery asks, I know that we are still in spring training. However, with Hamill's injury and Ozuna's strikeouts piling up, do you feel as confident in the depth as you might have a month ago? All right, well, let me start with Hamels because that's definitely a concern. There's no getting around Cole Hamels' injury. The depth is a huge key in replacing that production. As we talked about a little bit earlier, Sean Newcomb, Felix Hernandez, and Kyle Wright, they all look like legitimate rotation options, so I don't worry about the depth there right now, not currently to start the season. But in signing Hamels, that was supposed to add stability to the rotation and not another question mark. But yet, that's where we sit right now after the shoulder injury for Hamels just before spring training began and the timetable for him looking like it's going to be late April, early May at the earliest for him to rejoin the club. As for Ozuna, I'm not worried about him. He'll keep getting the reps and all the production I need to see from him can start on March 26th and run for about the next seven months, maybe through the end of October. That's when I want to see the numbers from Marcelo Ozuna, and I'm not really concerned about the early returns for him as he just rounds himself into shape and just starts getting some at-bats to be ready for opening day. So those are just a few of the Braves' questions that I got. Again, a lot of them were about the third base battle. Some of them I covered as well in talking about what the rotation may look like with Cole Hamels out, but uh, this is something I'll try to do every so often where I can throw it out there on Twitter. You can give me your questions, and I'll do my best to answer them as well.
All right, with all of that Braves talk out of the way, it's time to shift our focus and see what's going on around the rest of Major League Baseball. And we do that each week in the starting nine. And to help me out with that is Bill Rowland. Bill, welcome back to the show. Great to talk to you. It's been another week of spring training baseball, which means we're another week closer to opening day. I'm getting excited. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun to watch and start looking at the box scores and in some cases actually recognizing a lot of the names in the box scores because early on in the year, sometimes you don't. But yeah, it's getting to that point and we're seeing guys start to stretch themselves out a little bit more as far as the pitchers go. Nobody's throwing six, seven, eight innings yet, but they're starting to throw more than an inning or a batter or two. So yeah, it's, it's starting to feel a little bit like baseball season again. Yeah, starting to see those four-inning outings. I think that's the first time it really starts to jump up with the starting pitchers. Also, we're going to see teams making rounds of cuts here, You know, whether it's this weekend or going into next week, as they try to trim down the roster so that they can really see the guys that they need to see. And also, as you mentioned, get those regular players, the guys whose names you do recognize, get those guys tuned up for the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's always the fun time when you start getting those matchups. Even if it's spring training, it's nice to see the number one starter out there facing the hard oh, yeah. the lineup for the other team. That's when it starts getting fun. Absolutely. Well, let's start our fun off here in our starting nine with the National League Central, where the Milwaukee Brewers have locked up their MVP for a long time to come. Christian Yelich going to be staying put in Milwaukee as he and the club have reportedly agreed to a seven-year extension worth $190 million. That will kick in, that extension, beginning in 2022 as Yelich is under contract for two more years with his previous deal he signed with the Marlins. Bill, I just got to say, this is big money for the 28-year-old, obviously, but a big commitment to winning from the Brewers' brass. Yeah, it's nice because a lot of times, Grant, we don't see where both sides are actually taking a little bit of risk, right, when they Mm -hmm. sign these extensions. And I think both sides are putting in a little bit of risk. For the Brewers, it's that Yelich will continue to be the guy that, quite frankly, if he didn't get hurt at the end of last year, probably would have been back-to-back MVPs of the National League. So they take the risk that he's going to still be that after the knee injury. Yelich is taking the risk that he wouldn't have got this type of money in a couple years when he turns 30. So it's a win-win for both sides. I like the deal. I think it shows, again, like you said, the the Brewers are – committed to winning. And I think Ryan Braun might be in his last year of the contract. Mm So uh, Yelich kind of takes over. He's already the face of the franchise uh, from Braun. He takes over the guy that's being paid the most uh, from Braun as well. So it's kind of the passing of the torch, but a nice job. The only downside, as you said, it's an extension. This doesn't kick in until he's 30. So they're going to be paying him 18, $19 million when he's 37, 38. I'm not sure he's still going to be that MVP, but Obviously, they're paying for the next three, four, five years. They're not worried about what happens 10 years down the road. Yeah, I'd also say this. I mean, because you're able to pay him, what, $12.5 million, $14.5 million for this season and next season, in addition to the couple of great years they've already gotten at a very cost-controlled rate. So I almost feel like this is an investment that they've made both in the present and in the future, but also a little bit of paying back the past as well, which we know a lot of times these long-term contracts are predicated on, you know, what have you done to that point to earn that contract? Not, are you going to be as good as you were before this going forward? That's kind of been the weird uh, line that you have to walk if you're a veteran player out there looking for that big deal and you're a team interested in signing it. And I don't think at any time has that been more on display, more readily than the Albert Pujols deal with the Los Angeles Angels. He's one of the greatest right-handed hitters we've ever seen in this generation and perhaps any generation. But the player in St. Louis is not the player that's been out in Anaheim, though he's had some moments But that, I think it may be the cautionary tale, to your point, 
about signing huge contracts with players on the wrong side of 30. I think the Brewers got this thing right with Yelich, though. Oh, I do, too. And you make a great point about paying for past performance. That works if he's staying in the same city with the same ball club. And in this case, that's what's going on here. It doesn't work. You bring up pool holes. Why would the Angels pay for his past performance in St. Louis? Those are the contracts that don't make any sense to me where you go, well, the guy's made his money because what he did the prior five, six, seven years. Sure, if he did it for your city, rewarding a guy makes sense. Yeah, That's why this makes sense with Yelich. Doesn't make sense if you're going to sign a guy who's on the other side of 30 and all of his best years were in another city. Why are you paying for those? They didn't help you any. Right, and there's the Miguel Cabrera case as well where the Tigers felt like, look, this guy's a legitimate superstar for us. We want to keep him around, and they did reward him with that big contract. But as we said on this podcast, seemingly weekly now at this point, yeah, time's undefeated. I mean, at some point, right. guys are going to decline, not quite be the same in their mid-30s as they were in their mid-20s. Or, you know, sometimes it's an annual thing where, you know, a guy may have a down year, has to bounce back, has to make those adjustments to who and what he is as a hitter or as a pitcher, as the case may be. But I love this deal for Yelich. Just I would imagine, and this is just my thoughts on it, with a knee injury that he suffered last year that I don't think is going to be a long-term detriment to his career. But could you imagine if something like that were to happen at the end of the season where he was going into free agency. Right. I'm not saying that it would totally just torpedo any kind of deals or big offers that he was going to get, but as you mentioned earlier, the certainty that this allows for Christian Yelich from a monetary standpoint, the risk that's involved for both the club and for a player when you start trying to figure out what a $200-plus million contract looks like, I think this is a case where over time this is a deal that I look at and think this could pay off pretty well for both sides because the partnership for Yelich in Milwaukee has, no pun intended, been a home run acquisition for them. Yeah, no question about it. And and I want to know, though, he was good in Miami. He wasn't this good, though, in Miami, two-time MVP or close to. It should have been probably the MVP if he doesn't get hurt last year. But what's in the mug out there in Milwaukee that Bernie Brewer's sliding into that they're giving to the players? Because he shouldn't have been this good, right, Grant? What's going on there in Milwaukee that they've got it figured out? I'll be honest with you. I expected Christian Yelich to be the kind of player that was going to contend for a batting title that was going to be 40 doubles, you know, 20 home runs, going to fill up all of the columns. But what we've seen the last couple of years has been incredible. And I think part of it is the way baseball has been trending. And then part of it, especially in 2019, you got to wonder – not what's in Bernie Brewer's mug, but what was inside the baseball that was making Fair. that thing fly the way it was last year. But, you know, I will take nothing away from Christian Yelich because not only is he a home run hitter, he's a great all-around hitter. He's got back-to-back batting titles, led the league in on-base percentage last year. When he wants to steal a base, he pretty much steals a base without getting caught. He was 30 out of 32 last year. Don't know that he's going to run for the entirety of this contract, but he's a great base runner, great fielder. Great hitter and a great teammate, obviously. Great player. They're going to keep around for a long time. So long story short, uh, this is the kind of extension I, I like to see, and I understand why he would want to do an extension rather than wait a couple of years to figure out what's happening in free agency because, oh, by the way, that CBA thing's still hanging over everybody's head, and I think that there is some uncertainty about what the future may hold. Yeah, the Brewers obviously be hoping that he's going to be ready for opening day, yep. but as we move along to number two in our starting nine here, Grant, we knew that Chris Sale was not going to be ready for the Red Sox on opening day. Now it looks like the the team has discovered that he could be down for quite a while, dealing with a flexor strain, Boston playing the wait-and-see game on when Sale can resume throwing. 
for the Red Sox. Yeah, and we knew last week that there was a very good possibility that April was going to be wait and see anyway for Chris Sale because of the walking pneumonia, as the team described it. But as we talked about last week, not to cover the ground that we already have, but to kind of update this, we already knew that Chris Sale had dealt with some elbow problems last year. He got platelet-rich plasma injections to help deal with that. He does not need surgery. Got two opinions on that, including Dr. James Andrews. So not Tommy John, but the uncertainty that surrounds this for the Red Sox has to be troubling because Sale is obviously their best pitcher. He's a Cy Young Award candidate each and every year that he's healthy with the exception of last season. This is not the kind of news that they wanted. And it's a transitional kind of year for the Red Sox, kind of some uncharted territory in the last couple of decades for them. It's, I think, going to be a weird season in Boston, and Chris Sale missing time is not exactly what Red Sox fans and, of course, the Red Sox themselves really had in mind with all of the change that's already undergone uh, that team and what that roster is going to look like this year. Yeah, when we talked about it last week, you know, I had, I had talked to some of my people up there in Boston and had heard whispers that they really didn't think he was going to be ready even by May, um, that this was more than just the, the, you know, the walking pneumonia and everything yeah. else. Now they say no Tommy John. I still worry at some point the Red Sox are going to come out and say that Sale is just going to miss the 2020 season because they can't get it right or he can't get the discomfort away. That's my biggest fear. Uh, Again, as a team that I root for, um, I worry that that's what it's going to come down to. And I would imagine if the season goes the way a lot of us think it will for them, and when they're sitting there in May and they're already eight, nine, ten games out and struggling to even, uh, you know, sniff 500, they may just decide it's not worth even throwing him out there and he may miss the entire season. Not going to say that's 100% certainty, but it would not be surprising to me at all if by May they decide, you know what, he can't get it right. We're not going to be contenders. Let's just shut it down. Yeah, and I can understand that. And I know a lot of fans may just look at it that way. If it's a season in which you don't really expect to contend, do you want to push Chris Sale out there for, and I'm using the air quotes, meaningless baseball in the grand scheme of things? And do you want to instead take it as cautiously as you can and not push Chris Sale back onto the mound? Now, then there's the whole aspect of trying to tell a player exactly how this whole thing's going to work and his desire to continue competing at a high level and getting himself back out there, I think is going to kick in at some point. He's not going to want to just sit out the whole season, but Chris Sale is going to have to pass a number of medical tests and a number of physical tests when it comes to ramping up, building the pitch count, going out and getting those minor league rehab starts, and then hopefully getting himself back to being the pitcher that he was for the first eight years of his career anyway. And I'm fascinated to see exactly what time is going to tell us about this, but I hate seeing, and I know it's different with Clayton Kershaw because he hasn't necessarily been hit by the big injury yet, and I hope that he's not, but I love seeing some of these pitchers, like a Chris Sale, like a Clayton Kershaw. I just would love the idea of not seeing them have to deal with the injury setbacks and get more of those prime years because as much as we talk about home runs and offense and all that kind of stuff, I still love a great pitching duel, and I still love seeing great pitchers go out there and do their thing. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you get a Kershaw, a Sale, a Strasburg, any of those guys, yeah. when they're on point, it, it's the, as much fun as you'll have in a ball game. And, and you can sometimes tell within the first couple innings when you're sitting there that it, something just feels different the way they're throwing the ball, the movement, yeah. whatever it may be. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I hope selfishly that, that Sale is back as well because he's a lot of fun to watch when he's right. I just worry that they're going to get into, as you said, trying to ramp things up, the rehab starts or whatever. To me, 
anytime you hear flex or strain, I just say, you know what? You never, ever seems like here guys getting back from that and being as good as they were without some tragic thing happening and they end up having to go into the life anyway. So, you know, I just think about Severino for the Yankees that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Remember, it was like, ah, he just can't, he just can't get the discomfort out of his forearm. And then we find out. He's done for the year. Yeah, and that was a shoulder thing that eventually turned into an elbow thing for him. And obviously the Yankees have no shortage of injuries on their particular docket for this spring. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I I am interested to see going forward what the timetable is for Chris Sale and how much, if at all, he's going to be a factor for the Red Sox in their rotation this year. Meanwhile, when it came to getting Chris Sale to Boston, one of the big players that went the other way to Chicago and the White Sox that would be Yon Moncada. And as the upstart White Sox are trying to turn themselves around and become a contender in the American League Central, they have decided to spend a little bit more money, which they've done a lot of this winter. And they've extended Moncada with a five-year deal that has a six-year option, $70 million guaranteed here, according to multiple reports. White Sox may not be quite there to get in with the Twins and the Indians and upset the entire apple cart, as it were, in the Central. But you look at what Moncada did last year. This, I think, is what not just the White Sox, but also the Red Sox had envisioned when this guy signed as a very, very heralded young international player some years ago. It was a breakout year for him in 2019. What do you make of this deal? Yeah, and this is one of those deals that made sense for both sides when it happened. The Red Sox got what they wanted in Chris Sale and a World Series title, and the White Sox got what they wanted. And that's a young guy in Moncada that will be a stalwart for them now over the next five, six years. And a friendly deal as far as the money goes, because as you said, as a breakout season in 2019, you look at his numbers prior to that, and he was a good but not spectacular player. The question is, are they getting the guy that's 315, 367, 548 slash line? Are they getting the guy that's more along the lines of 265, 270 average, that type of thing? If they're getting the guy that's going to hit 300, like he did last year, this is a steal of a contract for the White Sox. Yeah, and this is a switch hitting corner infielder that I think that they can build around and want to build around. I mean, they've got Luis Robert. That's going to be a a big part of what they're doing as they try to build a sustainable window of contention in that division. And I think the White Sox are going to be right there for a good portion of the summer if things go well for them and, you know, injury doesn't strike. And a lot of these guys play up to their capabilities, Moncada included. But I do like this deal. I mean, we've seen a lot of these with – players signing extensions, not necessarily the Christian Yelich one, because I think that's a more specialized case, but watching young players just try to lock themselves up with some financial security. I think that's good for him, but also this is another, I think, important piece of what the White Sox are building in the central. Yeah, and the nice thing is you talk about moving over to third base in a pinch, because he did it the years prior. He can also play second for you. Yeah. If you have that need, obviously much more uh, comfortable and, and probably the future obviously over at third base, but they are putting together a young pitching staff. And as you mentioned with Luis Roberts, they're also putting together a young lineup as well. So yeah, 2020 may not be the year for the White Sox, but I think if you look at any of those teams in the AL Central, they are much further along, obviously, than uh, Kansas City, much further along than than Detroit. The Indians are trending the other way, especially if they decide to clean house and and Lindor goes. So it's just a matter of can they wait out the twins as they kind of get a little bit older and, you know, they've signed some some aging veterans as yep. well. And, and 
maybe 2022 and beyond. We're talking about the White Sox resurgence again. Yeah, and let me throw out there, too. I mean, we've used some of the names that the White Sox have on hand, but Tim Anderson last year winning a batting title. Then you've got Eloy Jimenez, who at 22 years old just clocked 31 home runs. So they've got some players they can build around. They brought in some guys, I think, pitching-wise that are going to do some things that have not been happening on the south side of Chicago for a while. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this team does in the central race and if they might just be not just a wild card contender, but kind of a wild card in this division that may make it difficult for some other team to chart its course because they're going to have trouble with this White Sox club. Oh, no question. And these guys are going to be able to, to score some runs because you'll have, again, you talk about, you know, Anderson winning the batting title and you talk about the the young guys that are there and, and they're going to go through their slumps where it'll be four, five, six games where they don't score more than three runs in a game for whatever reason. But then they're going to have weeks when they're pummeling the ball all at the same time. And you're not going to want to go into Chicago because you're going to end up losing games 10 to five, you know, nine to six, whatever it may be. And they're going to bludgeon some pitching staffs, especially yeah. uh, in the AL Central when, oh, yeah. you know, a team like Kansas City or Detroit shows up. It could just be a bloodbath <laughs> for those guys. It most definitely could. So we'll monitor that division because it is a little bit top heavy. And there are, as you just pointed out, a couple of clubs that might take some lumps next year. All right, every spring it seems to happen. Grant, some weird, strange injuries this year. No exception to Reds third baseman Eugenio Suarez wins the award this time. He's playing in the swimming pool with his kids at his Florida home when he decided to dive into the shallow end, which if you've ever been to a public pool, it tells you not to dive into the shallow end. Don't do it. Suarez at the bottom of the pool tore cartilage in his right shoulder he had surgery back in late January. His availability for opening day now in question. Not a good look. And as I respond on Twitter with that great Mad Men gif of Pete Campbell, not great, Bob. Like, this is just not what you want when it comes to trying to get yourself ready to really, I think, turn the corner in the case of the Cincinnati Reds. And in the middle of their lineup, Eugenio Suarez was a guy that had almost 50 homer power last year has driven in 100 runs for him the last couple of years. He's a legitimate all-star power threat in the middle of their order, and now you just kind of have to wonder, not just if he's going to be ready for opening day, but what is this injury possibly going to do to Eugenio Suarez going forward? I mean, is this going to be a shoulder thing that becomes chronic? Is it going to be a nagging thing that causes him to get shut down a few times during the year? Is it going to be something that saps his power? And, oh, by the way, as a third baseman, you got to have an arm to get it across the diamond as well. So having shoulder surgery, not the uh, easiest thing, I think, to get over for a baseball player in general, but especially one that's going to have to use that cannon on a regular basis to play his defensive position. I'm all for playing with your kids and having fun and doing the things that you need to do as a person outside of the the world of baseball. But diving into the shallow end of a pool, I mean, i got to be honest, I'm I don't know what kind of thought was going into that. Next time, maybe just do a cannonball, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, it is uh, every single year, as as we've said, you you get these weird, strange injuries. You think back years ago, and this I don't even think it was in spring training. I think it was during the, the, the season when, you know, Jeff Kent said that he busted his ankle washing his truck because he slipped and fell. And we're still not sure if that's exactly what happened, but you have these strange injuries all the time. But this one completely avoidable. It's not like he was out riding a motorcycle and shouldn't have been. He was playing with his kids. Let them jump into the pool. Jump into the pool, not dive. You don't dive in the shallow end. Let them jump into the pool. You don't need to be doing this. Um, It's tough break for the Reds. Again, I hope he's ready to go because, as you said, 
they are a team that could make some noise. They could be chasing Milwaukee and yep. St. Louis there in the Central and and causing they're they're kind of like the NL Central version of the White Sox. They're going to cause people some problems with that lineup that they have and the, and the hitters that they have. So I hope he's back. I hope he's ready to go. And you brought up all the concerns. The shoulder. Can you throw from third to first and still get it there? Uh, you know, across the diamond is the power sap from your right side when you're trying to you know turn on a ball and and you're you know trying to throw that hip through and and get the shoulders through. Are you losing your power at that point? So, wait and see game, I guess for him. But I'm yeah. sure the Reds are just you know as you said, smacking their foreheads, going what next uh, as far as the injuries that 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 happen. And again, he probably will not be the last guy that we hear about having a strange injury uh, during spring training. It just may take a while like this one. He had surgery January 28th. We're just now hearing about it. So it just may take a while to come out for some of these guys. Yeah, and I want to stick a pin in our starting nine for a moment to revisit some of the great and strange injuries in baseball history. I will always look back at Steve Sparks, who was a reliever, I believe, with the Brewers at the time, ripped a telephone book in half because he saw some motivational speakers that had done it dislocated his shoulder doing it uh, last year Carlos Correa had a broken rib that was suffered during a massage I thought that was super weird and of course down here in Atlanta there's been an urban legend that's been going around that John Smoltz burned himself while trying to iron a shirt that he was wearing at that time I have heard <laughs> Smoltz deny one. it but there seems to be pardon the pun where there's that much smoke there is most definitely a fire so be that as it may, those are just a few of my favorite ones or, or some that just pop up and you it's just you have to shake your head at it because you just don't understand how some of these things happen. I always love the ones where they come out and they tell you that the relief pitcher or the starting pitcher, whoever was supposed to throw an inning or two that day, couldn't go because they developed the blister uh, during their bullpen session when you know darn well they got it from playing 36 holes of golf the day before. That's a really That's always my really, favorite. Really good point. So Lots of different injuries that I'm sure will crop up that some of them will be pretty normal. Others of them, you'll just have to shake your head and move on to the next one because you just kind of wonder, again, how these kind of things can happen. But unfortunately for Suarez and the Reds, this is a story that they're going to have to monitor for not just the rest of spring, but possibly all season long and into the future as well, depending on yeah. you know where this injury takes him and what it might take from him. But another injury for the Yankees as we continue in our starting nine and we get to the fifth spot here Already down, Luis Severino, Giancarlo Stanton, who we talked about last week. News out of Yankees camp this week. Aaron Judge is going to miss some time thanks to a right pectoral injury. I guess it's kind of a a peck and a shoulder thing that he's dealing with. GM Brian Cashman on record saying the club does not expect the slugger to be ready for opening day. Judge, though, is holding out hope he is going to be ready when the season begins. Bill, we went through a lot of this last week, but are the Yankees just snake bit at this point between this spring and last year? It's hard to argue the other way. They've got to catch a break at some point, right? It has to turn the other way where they end up being really healthy because it can't, it doesn't seem like it can get worse for injuries, but every single week, it seems like they've got another one. And it's not the typical spring training soreness. It's actual, like, as we've talked about with Severino already, he's done for the year. Paxson out for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Now Judge, who may not be ready for opening day, maybe it's a couple weeks, maybe it's a month, we don't know. At some point, do they have to go to their strength and conditioning people and say, what's going on here? Why are all these things happening? But long-term, are we just going to downgrade them now to, what, 92 wins and they still take the division? 
by three or four over Tampa Bay? Or yeah. when when do we start saying under 90 for the Yankees with all these injuries? Well, if they lose another starting pitcher, that will certainly take them down quite a few pegs. But, I mean, it's not a given that Judge or even Stanton is going to miss as much time as he missed a year ago. But you do have to start to wonder, and I know just looking at Twitter, because you get warned, never read the comments. But as soon as the Judge news came out, I started looking at the thread and seeing the comments for it for, like, the New York papers, the New York sports writers. And there are fans who are already saying, what is the problem with the strength and conditioning in addition to accusing every player of being made of glass, which while that sounds fun is not true, but regardless, you have to wonder, you know, what exactly has gone on to allow this many injuries to happen to one club in a very short amount of time. We're talking about 13, 14 months and you've got multiple star players and important players, starting players anyway, that you're trying to figure out a way to fill in for which on the flip side of that coin, I can say bravo Brian Cashman and your scouting department for going out and signing the players that have stepped up and made it seem like the Yankees didn't miss a beat. Right, and you almost want to look at them and say, you know, hey guys, maybe not so many weights in the weight room because a lot of these things seem to be guys just trying to bulk up and get bigger. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but a pec injury to me sounds like a guy was trying to do too much on the bench or whatever it may have been. Same thing with, uh, with Stanton's injury. It yeah. just sounded like there was just too much weightlifting going on. That's why I said, hey, talk your strength and conditioning people. I know you want to be bigger, stronger, faster, but not to the point that you can get to a level that's not conducive to being able to play the sport of baseball. And it almost feels like in some cases, not necessarily with Severino, obviously, but with these position players, that they are getting to that point that things are just breaking down on them. Yeah, and it's the fine line between conditioning and then, as you mentioned, just maybe trying to get bigger, stronger, faster to the point of diminishing returns because you end up having to nurse an injury that otherwise may or may not have happened. But I'll say in the case of Stanton and the case of Judge, I feel like these guys were born bigger, stronger, faster. So maybe just trying to maintain the status quo. Yeah, that would probably work. All right, Uh, the Dodgers got a scare this week, but not as bad as the Yankees because third baseman Justin Turner hit by a pitch on his left hand Wednesday night, forcing him to undergo testing. Now, he stayed in that game, ended up homering in the third inning, and then later Turner told reporters that the x-rays were negative, but he did have a broken wrist back in 2018, so Turner and the Dodgers both dodging a bullet this time around. Yeah, no, imagine for all parties involved a sigh of relief on that because the Dodgers are clearly, as they are each year, I mean, they're all in on this thing. You just went out and got Mookie Betts. You've got a lot of players that have some versatility that you can play in different places. I'm sure they could find somebody who could man third base for a while, but losing Turner for six to eight weeks or whatever, a broken hand or any kind of fracture that you're going to be dealing with would probably cost him. That would not be any part of the plan for what the Dodgers were doing. Again, you go out, you get one of the best players in baseball to put with, oh, by the way, one of the best players in baseball because you got Betts and Bellinger now. You've got all kinds of other capable all-star players and some versatile guys as well. I mean, the Dodgers are a well-constructed team, and at some point, they're going to have to get across the hurdle or the threshold of not just getting to the World Series, but winning the World Series. And this is not a commentary on how they didn't win the World Series the last couple of times, but clearly they've spent a lot of money, and clearly the focus in Los Angeles every year has to be. And we heard Freddie Freeman say this down in Atlanta. World Series or bust, I think, has been a bumper sticker on all of the Dodgers' vehicles for quite some time. Yeah, they dodged a bullet, and it's good news for them because unlike the Yankees, they've been relatively healthy over the past couple years as they've made their run to the World Series. So this is just one of those things that you just never know in spring training 
guys are still trying to work out the rust, not only at the plate, but also pitching. And it's a control thing. Sometimes you're off by a couple inches. It's not that big of a deal. Sometimes it's a little more than a couple inches and somebody ends up getting hit in the hand and they break a wrist and nobody's doing it on purpose. It's just the, you know, the luck of the draw sometimes of whether or not a guy misses inside and hits you or misses inside and it's just in off the plate, two more inches, you break a hand, two more inches in, it's just ball three or whatever it is. And, and you see that in spring training. It happens during the regular season as well. So he's a key component for the Dodgers. And for them not to lose him, as you said, for any length of time, certainly keeps them as the odds-on favorite. Again, I think they're overwhelmingly the favorite to come out of the National League and probably to win the World Series, especially, as we said, you see the injuries keep mounting up for the Yankees. I guess Houston is the other team in the American League, maybe Minnesota. But for me, it's Dodgers and then a, a long drop-off to the next team that I would say definitely if I'm putting money down, I'm taking the Dodgers first before I get to anybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's the Dodgers against the field, I think, at this point, as far as that's concerned. And as you mentioned with Turner and this injury scare, baseball always a game of inches and I think the Dodgers are just very thankful that uh, Turner's not going to miss any time and they can hopefully head towards opening day as healthy as possible and keep their eyes on the ultimate prize. Meanwhile, we didn't talk about the Astros very much, and there's obviously a reason for that. They haven't managed to, I think, make anybody really upset this week, although there's plenty of holdover uh, with that story. That's not going to go away, but let's go with some good Astros news this week or good news for one particular Houston player and that's Lance McCullers, who made his return to the mound for the first time since 2018 with a 16-pitch effort against the Cardinals. His fastball hitting the mid at 94 miles an hour. Curveball good enough to punch out Paul Goldschmidt. For all the hand-wringing that we're going to do about the Astros on a weekly basis with their other troubles, good to see a talented young arm find his way back onto the mound and hopefully get his career back on track. Yeah, I'm happy for him. I'm always a sucker for a good comeback story from injury like this, especially when it's a young guy who... Apparently, seems to be a pretty decent guy yeah. by all accounts. Never interviewed him myself, never talked to him, but that's the the thing that you hear around baseball. He's still young. This will be his age 26 season. He was averaging more than a strikeout in an inning uh, before he went down with the injury. I'd like to see him go a little bit deeper in games. He doesn't throw seven, eight, you know, nine innings. But again, going into his 20 age 26 year, maybe that's the next thing to come. He's not Garrett Cole. But if he steps into that rotation, his ERA was under four the last time we saw him pitch in 2018. It does help soften the blow if he's a guy that can, they can stick in that rotation and is going to give you that kind of effort night in and night out. As you said, for all the bad news for the Astros lately, this is something that the Astros fans and, quite frankly, baseball fans can smile about. Yeah, I think so. And I know they're going to have to monitor his workload, be careful with him as they bring him back from Tommy John surgery. So maybe 2020 is kind of a bridge year for his career. But just that getting back out there every fifth day and being able to be a starting pitcher in the big leagues again, that's what McCullers is trying to accomplish here. That's step, I don't want to say step one, because a lot of this rehab and the surgery itself were quite a few steps to get back on that mound. But uh, hopefully for him, this continues to be a positive trend and he's able to recapture some of the magic that he showed, some of the promise that he showed in his time with Houston prior to the injury. And if he can go out, Grant, and, and give them 20 to 25 starts, which is about where he was before the injury. And he was only throwing maybe 125 to 140 innings. Still, if he gives them 140 innings of sub four ERA as a starter, they're probably going to win. I mean, I think they're the favorites to win the AL West anyway, but I think that he just strengthens that and makes it that much tougher for somebody like Oakland uh, or the Angels to chase them down in the division. 
Yeah, I think so. And that's the big thing is that the Astros, they're going to have a target on their back for all the other things they're going through. But at the end of the day, that group led by Dusty Baker is going to have to figure out a way to hold all of their focus that they can on the object of winning, which they're going to have a lot of people rooting against them this year. So uh, finding whatever they can to help equip them with the necessary personnel to prove that they're more than just a sign-stealing scandal, that they are a talented team, good enough to win without all of that, that's going to be a big part of it. And I think a lot of it's going to have to happen on the mound, quite obviously, because we don't know what to make of the Astros' offense or what the rest of the league is going to do in reprisal for what's been happening in the last few years. All right, we talked about Cincinnati a little bit earlier and their situation with uh, Suarez. Let's talk about Trevor Bauer. Always been an outspoken guy. We've heard plenty of him, good and bad, about the Houston debacle. But more recently, Bauer took it upon himself to signal his own pitches during the fourth inning of a spring training game on Monday. He challenged the Dodgers' Matt Beattie to hit him if he could, using his glove to indicate where the pitch was coming. The results, Beattie ends up lining out the center. Bauer said all this was just in good fun and actually admitted he had done it during the regular season as well, Grant. Yeah, he has, and he enjoys this, and quite obviously his comments about this, uh, this is something that he said, as you mentioned, was all in good fun. It was just joking around, but it had nothing to do with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who unfortunately were the recipients of a loss to the Houston Astros in the World Series, and we've covered that ground sufficiently on this show, and, and some other media outlets might have picked that up as well. So it wasn't team-specific, but Bauer said he was joking around having some fun. He did it twice last year and something it will probably do again this year, which I think is hilarious. And a lot of interesting outcomes can come from it because psychologically you're sending a message and the competition between the two. I think it is kind of a little bit of fun. You can definitely do it in spring training. Don't know if I'd want him doing it in the regular season, but, hey, if that's what he needs to compete and get up for the hitter that he's facing, whether it's the 25th or 26th man now on the Dodgers squad or not, Interesting choice, I guess, for Mr. Bauer, but he's an interesting individual. I love the guy. I love that he's not a walking cliche in interviews. He's not giving the standard, I'm just here to try to help the ball club or, or taking it one game at a time. All the things that uh, Crash Davis told Nuke to do in yeah. Bull Durham, he's putting it out there. He's having fun, and he's accountable to it. So I, I like it. I like the fact that he also um, has been very critical of Rob Manford, but then came out and, and said, hey, you know what? The commissioner said he was willing to meet with anybody at any time. When he came to Cincinnati spring training, he sat down with Bauer, and Bauer tweeted out later how impressed he was that Manford was a man of his word. So uh, I like the fact that Trevor Bauer, good or bad, is going to tell you exactly what's on his mind, exactly what he thinks about the state of baseball. It's refreshing that he is a guy. He's not a superstar, but he's a solid pitcher. He's not like, as you said, the 25th or 26th guy on the roster for the Reds. He's a main part of them. And he's willing to, to, to put it out there and, and quite honestly tell the fans exactly how a lot of his uh, fellow baseball players feel about what went on in Houston. I love the guy. Yeah, I mean, it's an accountability thing, if nothing else, when it comes to just you got to appreciate the candor, uh, to your point. And I think that Trevor Bowers offered an awful lot of that over the years and especially in the face of all of the things that baseball has been facing over this winter. But uh, let's move away from all of the pitch tipping and anything that has to do with the Astros and talk about one of, I think, the more interesting stories I found this week as we wrap up our starting nine with Jose Bautista, who has made a living hitting home runs and is very well known for a couple of big bat flips and one big swing from Rugnet Odor as the uh, Rangers and Blue Jays had some bad blood over that homer. But Bautista well known as a guy that can hit the ball out of the park, but his career is stalled out 
And it looks like the man they call Joey Bats is now ready to take his talents to the mound. At the age of almost 40, Bautista's been working out as a pitcher and would like to come back as a two-way player, which is something with the new roster rules for MLB would be pretty intriguing. But he sat out all the 2019. So, Bill, I have to ask you, do you think Bautista's quest is going to lead him anywhere back towards the major leagues? Grant, an honest opinion here, and, and I'm going to – be forthright in this. When I saw that he said he wanted to come back as a two-way player, my first thought was, "Oh, he doesn't want to DH anymore. That he actually <laughs> wanted to go back out and play defense." I don't, I don't know why I thought that, but that's the first thing when I saw this story. I was like, "Okay, so he wants to be a two-way player. He just, yeah. oh, he wants to go back and play D. Okay, fine, whatever." But then I read it and I went, "Oh, okay, that makes more sense." Hey, look, we said it before: chase the dream while you're young. Whether it's you know. Baumgartner going out there and, and doing rodeo or other guys doing other things. He's still young enough and apparently athletic enough that he can hit 94 on the gun. So yeah. if he can hit 94 on the gun and he's got a little run with that fastball and some control, hey, why not some team out there give him a shot, put him in a minor league camp, put him in the minor leagues, see what happens. Worst case, it doesn't work. You end up cutting him and we'll always have Joey Bats. Yeah, that is true. I have to wonder, though, Bill, just because – things have a funny way of working out sometimes if Bautista does make it onto the mound whether that's in the minors or the majors and somebody happens to hit a home run off of him and flip the bat and have that really big display of bravado I wonder how he's going to feel about that not because he should feel any kind of way or because guys shouldn't flip their bats but just the irony of ironies that would go with watching him surrender the home run and then watch the celebration it would be particularly interesting if it was Rugnet Odor. Yeah, that would, if he made it up to the majors, that would be amazing. I think if it happened to him in the minor leagues, and if you're a minor leaguer and you do crank one off of him, don't you have to I think you flip do. the bat at that point? Yep. I, I would I would hope that he would that he would have a, a sense of of humor enough that he would laugh about it. Yeah. I, that I, he would think it that he would think it was funny. Yeah, I love the emotion that goes with that. I'm all for the expression that goes with it. And I think fans are really in tune to that as well. I understand in the heat of competition, there are just certain things that rub guys the wrong way, and I'm not saying that's wrong either, but I definitely think the more flair and the more excitement that you're able to communicate from that field to those stands, that's nothing but a good thing for baseball. So if Joey Bats has a little something to offer and we can get a moment like that, I think a lot of people would enjoy it for a multitude of reasons, and perhaps if he can find his way back to the majors, which is, I think, a long string of what-ifs, if he could get back, I think it would be a pretty intriguing story for a guy that has had a very long career, played for a whole bunch of teams before he really became a star. This would be the comeback of comebacks for him. And you wouldn't have to worry about pinch hitting for your relief no. pitcher late in the games either because if he's out on the mound, go ahead, let him hit for himself. It would be it would be interesting. Again, I'm rooting for him because I like this kind of stuff. I think it would be great uh, and interesting for baseball. To me, it's tough to do. At 39, I don't know that he's ever had a pitching background yeah. at all when he was growing up. I'm sure being a, the, the athlete that he is, probably when he was a young kid, and I'm talking like 11, 12, 13, he probably was a pitcher. Because oh, with that arm, yeah. Usually, yeah, with, when you're that big, you're probably, you're usually the pitcher. So um, I've always wondered if guys, I mean, you hear about, you know, catchers and outfielders and third basemen that have these cannons. I've always wondered if some of these guys don't think in the back of their mind, you know what, I could probably go up there and throw 95 if I really, really wanted to. They just never try it, never work on it. But I hope Batista pulls it off because then maybe maybe more guys would give it a try. 
Yeah, be fascinating to see. And with a two-way player designation now, I, I don't know why other clubs wouldn't look into finding him, maybe not at 39 years old, but figuring out some opportunities to find a good player that has the ultimate versatility as well. So that rounds out our starting nine for this week. A lot of interesting stories, not a lot of Astros. I got to say, Bill, that felt very cathartic to get through that with a minimal amount of mentions of Houston. And the one time we did have to stay there, it was about a good story, a good comeback. And I'm hoping that maybe we can make it two weeks in a row next week that we can just talk about what's happening all around baseball and not about that scandal. Yeah, I think we'll be able to pull it off, and I think we're going to have more and more. We're getting to that point now, as you mentioned, in spring training where where teams are starting to cut things down. So I think we're going to have some good stories about, hey, this wasn't a guy we expected that might stick around with this team, and maybe he breaks you know, training camp with them. I think we're going to see a lot of those stories coming up, the surprise players that may be on these teams, again, with that extra roster spot. All right, looking forward to chatting about all of that with you next week. Thanks, as always, for your time. Enjoy your weekend, and look forward to another great baseball talk on the next From the Diamond. You do the same, and thanks to everybody listening out there. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Well, that'll wrap us up for this episode of the show. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Shares, ratings, and reviews, always welcome. We really appreciate them. Keep them coming in. They totally help the show. And be sure you're following along on social media. On Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore is the show. I am at Grant McCauley, and Bill is at Bill Rowland. On Instagram, at FromTheDiamond with no underscore. I'm at Grant McCauley there as well. Everything else, including every episode of the show, is available for you at FromTheDiamond.com, including my Braves positional preview series. Got the written version of that. Also, the podcast series continues, as you can check out the latest episode of that, which focused on the Atlanta catchers. All of that at FromTheDiamond.com. Once again, my thanks to Bill Rowland for jumping on the show and talking about all the happenings across Major League Baseball. And my thanks to you for tuning in, subscribing, and listening to From the Diamond as well. We'll do this whole thing again next week with all your Braves and MLB talk. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.